As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray for illumination. Prepare our hearts, Holy One, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your good and life-giving will. In Christ, amen. Our first reading comes from the book of Exodus. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they had imposed upon them. Our second reading comes from the book of Exodus also. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of worship where you surround us with stories and songs of freedom. And so startle us with your word. Help us to hear anew what you are saying to us this morning, which you have been saying for a long time. Open our hearts, our minds, our souls to your wisdom. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about freedom. 
It was my sermon topic long before the latest news cycle in which we learned of renewed violence in Israel and Palestine among people who seek freedom, each by their own definition. This conflict has lasted so long with so many tragic and complicated chapters. And we continue to pray for innocent people who find themselves in the path of war and for people in positions of power that they would be motivated to find peace. We have all heard the saying that freedom is not free. You may think of it as a cliche or associate it with a bumper sticker that you like or that you don't, but there's truth to it and it's an idea worth thinking about. I wonder what images or contexts come to mind when I say freedom is not free. Perhaps you imagine Mel Gibson as William Wallace at the end of Braveheart on the rack. It's a movie for us, but 700 years ago it was a violent and tragic story in its own time of people willing to pay the ultimate price for the gift of freedom. In our own time, not only does the Holy Land come to mind, but Ukraine and Russia, Taiwan and China, internal struggles in Sudan or Afghanistan, all kinds of places where people long for political freedom. Perhaps you think about our own country and our less than functional government. It is so hard and has always been to keep our checks and balances in place against impulses toward greed and the slow movement of democracy and the, the corrupting influences that come with positions of power. And we remember the many who go on feeling powerless in a land where all are meant to be equal. You may think about the heroes of the past who gave so much to secure freedom from slavery, be it those fighting in the Civil War or operating the Underground Railroad. You may think of slaves who spent their lives working for freedom, many who never received it. You may think of people still working today to provide a real chance at freedom for all people who live in this land. It is indeed a complicated subject, and one I always weigh into cautiously, aware that I enjoy so many freedoms others do not, and that there is much I do not understand, especially about the countless people for whom slavery is a modern physical economic reality. And yet we must try to talk about freedom in church. Because freedom is one of the fundamental ideas for which God has created us. Slavery in all of its forms is contrary to God's will. And God's freedom is so much more than anything I have mentioned so far, while still being connected to every bit of it. Freedom, as God understands it, transcends every circumstance of time and place. It is about the possibility that one day we might finally break the chains that bind us in this human life. And paradoxically, we only gain true freedom when we place our lives under the authority of God. 
and follow God's will. And as philosophical or theoretical as that may sound, it is real and immediate as well. For it is the idea that animates the whole quest for true freedom in every concrete time and place, Hong Kong or Mariupol, Washington, D.C. of today or Gettysburg of old, in camps near the U.S. border wall or boats in the Mediterranean Sea. And this impulse for freedom is among and within every one of us across every national, political, or historical divide, as we individual people struggle with slavery to things like greed, debt, alcohol, shame, rage, and the list goes on and on. For one of the unifying truths of human life is that we are all longing for some kind of freedom. Last week we began this sermon series called Roots to Rise in which we're looking at four fundamental narratives in the Bible. Stories that talk about God's will for us as we navigate life in the world. Last week we began with the creation of human beings and we talked about the choice between a tree of life and another tree whose ways lead to death. We talked about the daily struggle to choose a life that tilts us more toward what God wants for us, purpose, meaning, generosity, joy. And this week we take another step into a new story, the Bible's most important story about freedom. We're in the book of Exodus where we begin in chapter 1 with a verse A single verse that biblical scholars understand as pivotal to the whole storyline of the Old Testament. In Exodus 1, verse 8, we read, A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. This verse ties the stories that just concluded the book of Genesis with the stories of Exodus that are to come. Let's look back for a moment. As a reminder, Joseph was the youngest son of Jacob, one of the patriarchs of ancient Israel. Joseph's own brothers sell him into slavery just before the beginning of a famine that will span many years. But Joseph, by the will of God, works his way to the very highest places of power in the land of Egypt. And how does he do it? Joseph does it by mastering the economic forces that will one day enslave his own people and eventually his own family. During seven fat years of strong production, Joseph works with the pharaoh, the king, to store up all of the grain that they can for a famine that is coming. And when the days of famine arrive... Joseph helps Pharaoh begin to sell that grain back to the starving peoples around them. They sell it by taking in exchange first the people's money and then their property and finally 
their freedom. The people become slaves in Egypt. And then one day, a new king, a new pharaoh, arises over Egypt, and the text tells us explicitly that this new king did not know Joseph. And that is how Joseph and his family, too, become slaves. The Israelites have lost their freedom. The next story, the story of the book of Exodus, is the journey back to freedom. It is a story meant to make anyone who hears it reflect upon their own life and the ways in which we too struggle for freedom. The story begins with Moses, a child of the enslaved Hebrew people. His mother heartbreakingly gives him up for a sort of adoption. He will survive infancy by being raised in the palace of Pharaoh as an Egyptian. As an adult, he discovers his real identity as a Hebrew, one of the Israelites, and he murders an abusive slave master, and he flees Egypt fearing for his life. In the second half of this morning's reading, in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses in the wilderness where he discovers God in a bush that is burning but not consumed by the flames. And the Spirit of God says to Moses, I am the God of your ancestors. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It is an invitation to freedom. The journey to freedom will not be easy. Freedom will not be free. Most obviously, there is the pharaoh, the oppressor, who prefers to keep this source of free labor in its place. But in addition to the opposition of Pharaoh, there is the opposition of the Hebrews themselves. And this is the layer of the story that is perhaps more spiritually interesting. As theologian Brian McLaren writes, it turns out that it is easier to get people out of slavery than it is to get slavery out of people. The Hebrews have their own misgivings about the promise of freedom because they have been slaves for so long that they know nothing else. And so when Moses first returns from the wilderness, they are suspicious of this stranger who claims to speak on behalf of their God, who promises this land of milk and honey and that the power of God will eclipse the power of Pharaoh. As the plagues begin to be delivered upon Egypt, the Hebrews start to take notice of Moses and his God. And they begin to believe that another way of life can be possible. And on the night remembered as Passover, they flee from Egypt with Moses, cross the sea, and begin a new season of life, a life of freedom, a life with God. 
But that is not the end of the story. The land of milk and honey is still far, far away, and the people will wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One generation of them will die, and a new one will be born. God will deliver ten commandments to offer the people a new way of life together. God will provide water from a rock in the desert when they are thirsty, and manna and quails from heaven to keep them from starving when they are hungry. And God will seek in many ways to teach them patience and to teach them trust. And in return, the people will plead with Moses to take them back to Egypt, where life was hell. But at least it was the devil they knew. God will forgive them for their idolatry as they craft more predictable gods out of gold. God will forgive them for their lack of vision for the promised land. For 40 years, God will pull them kicking and screaming toward freedom. It is a story of so many things that speak to the human condition, of God's desire for us to make choices that lead to life and not to death. What are the freedoms to which you are drawn? And what are the earthly realities that keep you enslaved? Exodus is a story about slavery to greed and about the lust for power. It is a story about the addiction to slavery and the difficulty of escaping destructive ways of life. It is a story of the choices we sometimes make for good and the choices we often make to keep us in patterns we know are destructive it is a story that reminds us how hard it is to find freedom and how equally hard it is to hold on to it. It is a daily and lifelong journey to choose the life of freedom that God wants for us and to escape the many things in life that threaten to enslave us. We are slaves to substances and to retail therapy, to the tons of choices we make for momentary comfort that ultimately make us miserable. We are enslaved to the pull of greed and power, the quest to accumulate more like Pharaoh, to fool ourselves into thinking that if we store up enough and have more than our neighbors, we can buy freedom, we can feel security, even though neither one of those things is for sale. We find ourselves slaves to anger and resentment toward others, guilt and shame over realities of our past, the pride through which we try to fix our own problems. We are slaves to it all. And God is with us throughout all of life, just as God was with the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, pulling us, kicking and screaming toward freedom, toward a promise of greater peace through a life of trust with God.
This story is one of the great narratives, perhaps the greatest one in the Bible. It animates the history of the Jewish people and therefore shapes the life of Jesus Christ, who also was Jewish. The Jews celebrate the Passover feast to remember who they are and where they came from. It is the meal Jesus and his disciples are sharing when they gather around this table at what we call the Last Supper, where Jesus promises to his disciples that he will be with them in the midst of their brokenness, when he promises to feed them every time they come back to the table. For this is their story and Jesus' story and our story of waking every single morning with the desire to make a choice for freedom and to be a slave no longer. And as we continue together on the journey we are on this fall, I invite you for God invites you to consider the many places in life where God may find others or you in bondage and to catch the vision of how God intends to set us free. It is a journey for every day, a journey that requires one another and God. And you are invited to come. Amen.